Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, Heather Knight. And as you can tell by that wonderful organ music, welcome to our Castro Theater episode. Why, thank you very much. So first question, on a scale of 1 to 10, how freaked out are you about the future of the Castro, which will be changing its programming when it comes back in 2023? Um, I'm not super freaked out. I think we've gotten some assurances since the news broke that, you know, some things will stay the same. Most importantly, in my mind, the organ um, so I'm going to say a five. A five? I'm a, about a 4.5 right now. We're on the same wavelength. But I was an eight. The The Castro Theater means a lot to me and a lot of San Franciscans, and I know you as well. It was bought by the Nasser family in 1922, still owned by the Nassers, but there's some big changes coming. Another Planet Entertainment, um, which is a local company but has some corporate sway will take over, and what they do with the venue remains to be seen. So we called our friend Chronicle Arts and Culture columnist Tony Bravo to talk us down and pay tribute to the Castro. You live in San Francisco. I have deep family roots in the city. Tony has both. He's like the best of both of us, Heather. Yes, Tony is great. He's one of the coworkers I miss the most. He's just always so funny. Got a little snark to him, and it's always great to chat, so I'm glad we use this as an excuse to connect with him. Definitely. We're going to talk about what's going on with the Castro with Tony, and we're also going to share some of our favorite memories. Tony's grandmother gets involved, and I really want to meet her. She sounds awesome. Tony's also working on a story about the Castro. Look for all of his stories and columns in our date book section at the Chronicle. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Heather Knight. We can't wait to hear that organ again. And this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Welcome to Total SF, Tony Bravo. You're one of the people we miss seeing and talking to in the newsroom. And I am looking forward to a brighter future where we can do that again. But right now we are on a Zoom call hoping construction noise and my dog don't interrupt this. Hey, Peter. Hey, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. And I miss seeing you both at the 901. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully we'll be back there soon. Yeah, so we, we, we're here to talk about the Castro, a little tribute to the Castro. But first of all, I want to establish you. You're, you're a San Francisco native. I, I don't like doing the, like, who's got the most generations, but I think you have four, fourth generation. Yeah, four generations through my mother's family, through her mother, through her mother. Uh, yeah, you know, born in San Francisco and uh, like kind of rebirthed at the Castro Theater to bring it back to the topic. <laughs> Do you remember your first trip to the Castro? Orson Welles, Touch of Evil, 
my freshman year at the Ruth Asawa School of the Arts. I was 14 years old, and it was, I, I think, the special uh, premiere of the recut of A Touch of Evil that was done according to Orson Welles' uh, handwritten memo that he sent to the studio. I walked into that theater, and uh, zing went the strings of my heart. Uh, I... I, I fully became, I think, uh, a San Franciscan that day, and um, I, I knew that I was home. You That's know, beautiful. I mean, it, what a movie to start with. Although I figure, like Orson Welles and Alfred Hitchcock, and some kind of sing along, there's a pretty good chance that that's where most people start. Yeah, it's a great film. And um, what I remember so distinctly from that first screening that I attended at the Castro was that when Orson Welles actually entered the movie uh, as his character, uh, Detective Vargas, I think, the entire audience broke out into applause. I was 14 years old and thought, what is this, like a play? Like people <laughs> people applaud in movies here? I, I had found my tribe and not only did they applaud, but looking around, it was a group of queers, uh, mostly queers and cinephiles, people that I would have actually cast in a film to play people that were hardcore moviegoers. Uh, black turtlenecks, horn rim glasses, um, people that you could just tell took movies so seriously that were real connoisseurs of it, uh, not just as entertainment, but as an art form. And you're working on a story about the reaction among the LGBT community. Can you give us a sneak peek at what you're hearing? There are a lot of very strong feelings about how a change in that venue will impact not only the neighborhood, but the wider LGBTQ community that comes to the neighborhood for events there. I think there's a real concern that um, they will be priced out of being able to do special events uh, like the Peaches Christ uh, drag pre-show screenings, like uh, some of the significant community events that have involved the queer community, like uh, Mark Eustace's kind of legendary screenings that he would do where he would bring Golden Age stars to do interviews on stage and then show one of their classic films. Uh, There's a lot of concern that that venue could be de-queered, as many Mm -hmm. spaces have been in San Francisco in the last decade especially. I'm thinking, you know, especially about... uh, the Lex, the uh, the lesbian bar that was shut down a few years ago in the Mission, and uh, also the late and great Stud in Soma, the mm-hmm. Stud Bar. Um, to lose the Castro would be a gaping wound in that neighborhood and in the hearts of many people that have called it their home away from home. And as both a reporter and a, a fan of the Castro, as a patron, what was your initial reaction when you heard the news? Um, I was uh, startled by the idea that it would not be a repertory movie house anymore. There's been a long tradition of uh, live events there, uh, live events before film screenings, uh, comedy shows, drag shows. Um, I actually even directed a a, a musical performance there with the Ruth Asawa School of the Arts of uh, Benjamin Britten's Guide to the Young Person's, uh, A Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra. Um, So it's not as though live entertainment is unheard of in that venue. The idea that um, film would not be an essential part of their programming other than film festivals, though, was absolutely shocking to me. Because what's great about the Castro is not just the special events. It was the idea that 
Uh, one night you could go see a great kind of uh, classic Hollywood double feature, you know, maybe uh, a Joan Crawford movie followed by a Betty Davis movie, although as any classic film fan knows, those two women hated each other. <laughs> Um, and then the next night, you could go see La Dolce Vita or some great experimental Benwell film or a, a film by a new filmmaker that was up and coming that might eventually make an appearance at an SF film special premiere there in a couple of years once they um, had been a little bit more discovered. The Castro was a place of discovery for so many of us, not only people that got their classic and art house film educations, but it was a place where we, we found new filmmakers, where we were introduced to new stars. And as a columnist and a reporter, it, it's also a place where my career has kind of happened over the last decade. I've, uh, I've done a lot of really memorable interviews there, um, ranging from people like Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone on one hand for a La La Land screening to uh, Kim Novak herself, you know, the star of Vertigo, the best film of all time with apologies to Orson Welles and Citizen Kane. <laughs> and you told us you took your grandmother to meet her? In all my years of being a reporter, my grandmother has never once asked to go to any of the fancy things that I get to go to or the special events. You know, she's never had interest in going to the opening night of the opera or uh, even uh, necessarily getting to go to like some big musical production coming in from New York. She called me when she saw in uh, Datebook that Kim Novak was coming to the Castro uh, for a Mark Houston special screening of Vertigo. And she was very hesitant. She said, okay, well, I, I don't really want to bother you, but Grandma, you're 90 years old. You couldn't possibly bother me. <laughs> At 90, you get to call your grandchild whenever you want. She said, but can I... I love Kim Novak. You know, we're the same generation. I, can I go... And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll send a car to pick you up. We will, we will make it a date. And it is the thrill of my grandmother's life that Kim Novak sat right behind us during the screening... And, uh, you had better seats than Kim Novak? Uh, Kim Novak, I think, wanted to be close to the door so she could uh, make a quick exit there to, to do the meet and greet afterwards. Um, we, we were almost in the back row of the theater. Kim okay. Novak was in the very back row with her husband and her manager. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother would lean into me and she'd say every couple of seconds, Kim Novak's getting popcorn. Kim, <laughs> Kim Novak just whispered to her manager, like, Kim are you following this? Like, you should take notes on this. You know, thank you, Grandma. I, I appreciate your help uh, reporting the story. Um, and then, you know, a thrill of both of our lives. We, um, I, I interviewed Kim before the screening, and then I was able to take my grandmother to meet Kim Novak uh, in the balcony lobby upstairs after the screening. And she, she said to Kim, um, you know, movies really were better when you were making them and <laughs> and Kim very graciously agreed with her and uh, for months after that uh, I got a picture of, of my grandmother and I with Kim my grandmother would very casually pull out of her purse when she was uh, seeing friends oh look what I happen to have here it's a picture of me and and By Kim Novak you know um <laughs> You know, she she agrees with me that movies were better uh, before 1965. You know, we're we're very close friends. <laughs> <laughs> What's your grandmother's name? We should give her a shout out on Total SF. Evelyn, Grandma Evelyn. Hi, Evelyn. <laughs> well, I I love this. Um, we're gonna get back to sharing just some of our favorite memories of the Castro. I thought that would be fun. Um, they're all different for me, um, but I wanted to I, I wanted to dig into the archive as I do and just read the Chronicle's coverage on the day 
that the Castro opened, which was um, in June uh, 1922, so the 100th anniversary is coming up. Just digging through the history, this was a neighborhood theater from the beginning. Eureka Valley, as it was called back then, and that's actually where my mom and my grandparents uh, lived. Um, This was a transformation for that neighborhood. I'll I'll read our story just about what was going on in in, in that, that part of the city. With excellent transportation systems established and assurance of the fine station at the entrance of the Twin Peaks Tunnel as a monument to the tremendous engineering accomplishment, Eureka Valley has become a veritable city itself. In addition to numerous stores distributing every variety of merchandise, Eureka Valley has a bank, the finest steam laundry on the continent, and with the opening of the Castro Theater tonight, will have its own amusement center. And I think about it, it was a neighborhood theater serving the neighborhood. The very first movie was like a racing picture, and then there were matinees. They'd have four four different movies a week in the beginning so the kids could go there. And I was driving to the 49er game with my mom, you know, one of the Niner games we went to last year, and most of the drive down to Santa Clara, we were just talking about the Castro and how much of a part of her life it was on the weekends going down there with her cousins and friends and seeing the features because it served that neighborhood which at that time there were a lot of children there the neighborhood changes and we have frameline we have a documentary for the coquettes is going to open there um last black man in san francisco sketch fest becomes part of that and that's the thing that i was concerned about when i got the news um Another Planet Entertainment is local. They have a good history with places like Bill Graham Civic Auditorium and with the Fox Theater in Oakland, um, communicating with the community and taking their cares into account. But the Castro has always been, for a hundred years, a theater for that neighborhood. And that's my concern. I'm I'm really going to be looking closely when the first calendars and first announcements come out to see what kind of programming are are, are going to be there and, and if it reflects that neighborhood and that community. Yeah, I think that um, one of the big concerns is uh, with the renovation. That is a historic Timothy Pfluger-designed building. Timothy Pfluger is a very significant architect, uh, mostly known for the Art Deco style in San Francisco and California. Um, there were talks about perhaps expanding the lobby. Uh, There are certainly upgrades that I think the community will welcome to the electrical system and uh, perhaps to the sound system and uh, expanding the very limited backstage. Uh, But uh, I think we've seen a lot of uh, updates or restorations of historic buildings that maybe haven't been done with the level of care and attention to detail that the community would like. And uh, I hope that another plan on entertainment is uh, in touch with the uh, historical community here and um, will uh, abide by whatever the standards of preservation are, there are for that space. Um, speaking of sort of what first screened there, you know, for anyone that's uh, gone down to the men's room uh, in the basement and I seen... Have not. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think so, Heather. Um, but <laughs> seen the, the posters that line the walls, I believe there is actually a program from uh, pretty early on advertising what the bill was. And among the, the pictures that I think are mentioned is an early Valentino silent film. Um, 
so to know that that theater has seen not only so much history in the neighborhood, but so much of the history of cinema, uh, from silence to the birth of sound to, uh, you know, the expansion of screens with technologies like Cinerama to the, the kind of golden age of Technicolor in the 40s and the 50s. Um, it is, it's just, it's seen so much. And I uh, would hate to think that uh, those walls uh, might not uh, be the, the same as they once were, um, you know, after having witnessed so much incredible history. The organ was there from the beginning. I'm reading about the description of the organ with, you know, one pipe so big a man could crawl in it and one pipe so small it's, you know, the the size of a needle. And, and that's a tradition that's held through. I, I really wish in the announcement they had just said, the organ's coming back, you know? I mean, there were a few things that... I think I've kind of trickled out that I wish we had heard um, right off the bat because there are parts of that theater that if you take it away, it's not the Castro Theater. And there's been a pretty significant fundraising campaign over the last couple of years uh, to uh, put in a new organ uh, because I believe the previous one was on loan uh, that uh, will keep that tradition going at the theater. I think you're absolutely right. Getting to hear them play San Francisco right before the speaker or right before the feature starts and having people clap along at the end. Uh, that's just part of the magic of that experience there. We'll be right back after this short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I, I thought we could share a few of just our favorite memories at the Castro. And I wanted to start with you, Heather. Um, you've lived in the city for, for 20 plus years. And, and uh, I know you love going there. You have two young boys now, and that becomes part of it. Wh- what do you think about when you think of the Castro Theater? What's, what's a memory that, that, that jumps out for you? Um, I mostly associate it with the sing-alongs that have become so popular. I've been to a few of those there. Um, I most vividly remember going to see Sound of Music there and um, standing in line, and there was a group of people dressed as nuns. One of them was um, Sister Margarita with a huge margarita glass around her nun's habit, and that's just like so classically San Francisco that nobody even like really glanced at her, but I was like, oh, love it. Um, and then going inside, and it's just such a party atmosphere and getting the favors, party favors, and, um, and all singing along together, and it was just such an event. It was so much more than just watching a movie. I also remember, um, funny enough, one of my most vivid memories was a time I didn't go because um, my sister volunteered to watch my kids so my husband and I could go on a, a day date. And what she ended up doing with my boys and their cousins was taking them to a Moana sing-along at the Castro Theater. And when I heard about that, I was like so jealous. And I was like, wait, why did I go on a, a date with my husband? I should <laughs> We should have gone there. So um, my boys loved it. And it's just always been such a fun, um, happy place to be. I'm so glad you mentioned the sing-alongs and the sound of music. Uh, Lori Bushman and Sarah Moore, who have run those sing-alongs for many years, I think do an incredible job of taking kind of the wild 
spirit of the community there and making it very family friendly but not in a way that is cloying or um too saturine um i love the little gift bags especially that they uh give for audience participation it's like taking all the fun of rocky horror and um making it something you can bring your children to totally although in this city i think people do bring kids to rocky horror and i approve (laughs) probably (laughs) i i think about um Godfather 1 and 2, which I took my older son Theo to it, and I went with my aunts, Susan Leal and Susan Hirsch, and we're all going there. I, he's a little young, like 13. I'm like, is this even appropriate? Is he going to get bored? We're going to sit through these two movies. And I remember after the first movie, which he was just locked in on, he wanted to know when the intermission was so that he could like time his bathroom breaks. I mean, he was so into it. And then on the way home, um, we're I think on BART and he's on Wikipedia and just going through and telling me little facts about Godfather one and two. I mean, it's like 13 years old. I didn't know he had really fallen in love with movies yet. And he's drilling into Godfather in a way that, um, that reminded me of me and also made me so excited that I had taken him to see it at a theater. It would have been such a different experience if I had done it at home. And I think that's a foundational memory for him. And I I just think about all of the foundational memories like that. Um, I fell in love with theaters when my parents dropped me off um, at the Arlington in Santa Barbara. And I remember the theater as much as I remember Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is a great movie. I remember how it felt sitting there and how I felt independent. And, um, you know, and I I just think of all the people who've had that experience that, you know, if this isn't in some form a repertory film house, I think we're missing a lot. Mm -hmm. Peter, were you around for the 25th anniversary celebration of The Godfather at the Castro Theater? I was not. Were you there? Uh, no, I've I've heard incredible stories about it, though. Uh, people comparing it to uh, what recently happened for the Matrix uh, premiere that was there, yeah. uh, saying that they closed down the street, that um, almost all the cast came, I think except Marlon Brando, who was still alive, but uh, not doing public appearances at that point. Um, and, you know, this year's the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. I am hoping that uh, people get to see it in the Castro Theater again. Yeah, that'd be incredible. That'd be awesome. You know, one of my favorite LGBTQ memories of the Castro is actually seeing the film Milk there uh, shortly after it opened. To be in the Castro and then to see the Castro as part of several of those scenes, I think including one of the big um, political demonstrations early on that uh, very prominently features Peaches Christ as one of the drag queens uh, leading the demonstration um, was, I mean... Right now, as I'm talking about it, I feel the hair on the back of my neck standing up. Mm. It was just so special to be reminded that um, Harvey Milk, that all of the history he represents, happened in my own backyard. I actually uh, lived in Noe Valley just over the hill at that time. And to know that um, every day I walked in the same steps that um, he did and that people like the great Cleve Jones, who is uh, thankfully still with us and such a great resource about the history, um, you know, reminded me that um, it is the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. and it was, it's such a privilege to, to be a part of it. And that, that space is um, not only a temple to cinema, but 
really a great community gathering space. Mm-hmm. The, the special events, um, I've been to a few there. I, I think of the last Black Man in San Francisco premiere in 2019, which was, it was so difficult to get in, I almost turned around because I didn't have to be there. It, it, I wasn't covering anything. And I get in, sit down, and these two filmmakers, Joe Talbot and Jimmy Fails, get up there and express this absolute love for the venue and the city and the filmmaking experience they just had. And then the composer for their film, who is wonderful, um, uh, Emil Mosseri, I think his name is, and uh, Michael Marshall, who is, um, I got five on it. He's He's been in the rap community, but he sings the song San Francisco. They went up and did this uh, arrangement with tubas and him singing. It is one of the most electric moments I've ever experienced just as a critic or as a consumer of entertainment. And I'm still high off it. And I I immediately thought of that when they made the announcement that, well, those types of events, maybe we won't get less of those. Maybe we'll get more of those. Maybe, you know, with another Planet Entertainment, their connections, maybe... um, uh, we get someone like, you know, Ali Wong coming in and doing a residency there. I mean, I can just think of all these San Francisco connections that could happen there and could still happen even as this venue transforms. Maybe it's wishful thinking, but that's my hope. And I want to point out that uh, Joe is a uh, alumnus of the Ruth Asawa School of the Arts as well, <laughs> uh, many years after me. I just want to say thank you for calling it by the full name. There's so few schools or buildings of any kind named after women, and so many people drop the Ruth Asawa from the name. So, As someone Kudos. that has reported, you know, you know, whose beat uh, really emphasizes visual art and who has written stories about Ruth Asawa, um, I think it's ridiculous not to call it by the full name, especially when we have such... Uh, prominent talks about renaming the high schools. Let's mm-hmm. honor the, the names of, of women in these schools, certainly. Especially women of color that were interned by their own governments during World War II. Okay, lecture yes. over. <laughs> I think we can include her full name. Did you see Ruth Asawa while you were there? At, at the high school? Yeah. Um, one of my great regrets is that she was not you know, really included on the teaching staff or, uh, yeah. or, or somebody that we had regular access to, but you would see Ruth working in the courtyards. I graduated from the school when it was at the uh, Font Street campus, uh, which is now a soccer field next to San Francisco State. Um, and I actually witnessed her several times working on the uh, Japanese internment memorial garden at mm-hmm. San Francisco State. Uh, so although I did not know her, um, I think her presence was very felt yeah. if you wow. knew where to look. Well, Tony, we're going to go to the lightning round. You have never experienced the lightning round, and I'm dying to hear your recommendations. But um, any other thoughts, any other memories about the Castro, anything else you want to share? In addition to having done you know, several interviews with big stars at the Castro, I'm also lucky enough to have hosted a couple of things or been involved with onstage talks at the Castro. Um, most recently, um, I was part of a frame line discussion for the Mayor Pete film, 
Um, but right before that, my first event back on stage at the Castro was the San Francisco in theater premiere of Darcy Drollinger's Shit and Champagne movie. Mm-hmm. Darcy being the owner operator, uh, star drag queen of Oasis. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, a few years ago, I uh, did one of the more awkward public events of my life, uh, which was a onstage interview with a very cranky Academy Award nominee, who I will not name. Uh, you have uh, to tell us when we stop recording. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, that tea will be <laughs> served. Um, but, you know, a- any time you're on stage at the Castro, I think, is a good time. But it was, like, such an awkward event that for months afterwards, uh, people were coming up to me saying, oh, I saw you and XYZ uh, on stage. You know, <laughs> they weren't very nice to you. That was really awkward. I'm so sorry. And, and I said, you know, Whoa. thanks. You know, all in, a, all in a day's work. That is unfortunate. But what is fortunate is we get to hear your answers to the lightning round. Where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Um, I'm actually uh, gluten intolerant, so oh, I can't no. have burritos. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, where is your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? Oh, uh, let's say uh, Twin Peaks Tavern, uh, followed by uh, Oasis, and let's go old school here, uh, Big Four on Knob Hill. Nice. I like it. It's a progressive party. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good one. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Okay, so this is a tough tie between Vertigo and uh, Peter is going to guess the second one, The Princess Diaries. <laughs> Third place, What's Up, Doc? We're going to show What's Up, Doc next in our Total SF movie series. So oh, that's exciting. Hopefully you, you can know. come to that. Absolutely. And uh, the, the late and great Peter Bogdanovich, uh, who recently passed. Um, but I have to give yes. credit to Polly Platt, his wife at the time, who suggested that San Francisco be the location. I think Peter originally thought Chicago would work. Mm. Polly said, no, you got you to gotta have those hills. They're made for comedy. <laughs> <laughs> what has changed most since you were a kid in San Francisco? Uh, I, I would say uh, there is a lot more uh, super wealthy people mm-hmm. in San Francisco. It feels uh, like it's becoming a city that, that has uh, a lot more rich people in it. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know that a city that only rich people can live in is necessarily a good thing. In fact, I would say it is not. Yes, for sure. What is your favorite San Francisco landmark? I'm going to uh, pay homage to my visual art beat and uh, say the De Young Museum. Mm. I think it's a great new building. Uh, Castro Theater, though, uh, for the sake of this podcast, should also get a mention. <laughs> What is your favorite San Francisco? I, uh, I really like the neighborhood that I live in, uh, Anza Vista, the smallest neighborhood in San Francisco, but also got to tip my hat to the Castro. You know, mm-hmm. I, I came of age as a queer there. Uh, who is your favorite San Francisco drag queen? I cannot answer that without <laughs> enormous professional repercussions. I knew you were going to say that, but I had to try. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the city, what would it be? It would be more affordable. I think mm-hmm. that a city that um, artists can live in, that uh, waiters, waitresses, service indri- in- industry people, uh, people of all economic stripes live in is a better city. Yeah. Last question. What is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? I mean, maybe we can go back to the stiff drink here. <laughs> that is something that I end uh, a busy day with uh, sometimes. Uh 
I don't know, a, a walk out in the neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. experiencing the air, especially this incredible fog we've had the last couple of days. Um, yes. Getting out into the good San Francisco air that blows in from, from the West is great. Yes. Well, thank you so much for making time for us. Yeah, and Tony, uh, I, I miss you, and uh, I look forward to the future when we can be in a newsroom and just run into each other randomly again, because those were always my favorite conversations with you. Yeah, among my favorite, too, and I'm looking forward to seeing you both at What's Up, Doc, and fingers crossed, we'll all be back at the Castro again for, for a movie, some of that antique popcorn, and a uh, cup of the good coffee that you can always smell in the lobby. <laughs> Love it. Excellent. See you soon. Thank you, Tony. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Total SF is a production of the Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com pod. Oh